Step into my office. Why? Because you're fucking fired. That's what we're talking about today. The NFL firings, the coaching changes, the carousel that goes round and round. Where it stops, nobody knows. But these guys are going to go from one team to the next. This year and every year as we have in the NFL, there's a day called Black Monday, which is the first Monday after the end of the regular season. For those of you who don't know what Black Monday is, it is the day when all of the owners of the NFL teams fire the coaches that they feel have not been doing the job well enough to get a winning record for their team. And sometimes even when the team does have a winning record, sometimes the best winning record you can think of, they still fire the coach. There's lots of things that go into firing a coach, performance of the team, coaching of the team, handling of the team, uh, working within management, uh, bringing in players, and of course, doing a good job and winning a Super Bowl. This year, we saw several coaching changes go down. Uh, the first, well, there was a couple that happened mid-season, just to kind of bring everyone up to speed. A couple of uh, the people that went down this season, um, we saw Joe Philbin of the Miami Dolphins get fired after a 1-3 and three start. Uh, we also saw Ken Wisenhunt, the coach of the Tennessee Titans, get fired after a, I don't know how that, I don't know, two and something, one and something. They were pretty awful this year. Uh, then we saw the firings that came at the end of the season, most notably, and someone I'd like to focus on quite a bit with this podcast, Chip Kelly, the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, fired after, uh, right before the Week 17 finale of the, game, of the season this year. So to finish his record with the Eagles, he had a 26-21 and 21 record. After two 10-6 seasons, he slipped to 6-9 and nine and was fired before his team could finish 7-9. and nine. A lot of drama has surrounded Chip Kelly. I think there's been a lot of discussion with him. There's a lot of feelings intertwined with this coach and what was going on. I don't know what was exactly happening inside. I can just tell you what every other fan like me has been seeing and thinking, which is that this was a bold choice. The owner of the team, Jeffrey Lurie, this man came out. There's a lot to be taken from Jeffrey Lurie's uh, press conferences. This is what I'm thinking, guys. Let's, let's get a little close. Let's, let's, let's be intimate for a moment here and just tell you what I think about some of the things regarding these teams. I think these teams are in a lot of ways, still glorified work environments. They're very uh, old school in some of their methods. I think there's a lot of traditionalism in some of these offices. And, and, and at the end of the day, they're still offices. There's still a bunch of people, whether they're coaches or players or athletes, there's executives, there's marketing people, there's salespeople, there's trainers, there's players. They're all in the building at the same time. They're all coming to Lincoln Financial Field and the, the NovaCare complex, they're coming to these facilities and they're interacting with each other on a daily basis. Now think about that as your own work environment. Think about going to your own work environment and dealing with a new boss or a new coworker or a new you know, person that you have to manage who might be working well with you or might not be working well with you. You ever had a beef with a coworker? You ever had a beef with like, you know, a superior and you find a way to work through it, or maybe you don't find a way to work through it, and it's just this constant sort of needle in you every day. You're coming home from work being like, God, I hate this fucking guy who works in accounting who's just driving me nuts, or I hate this guy who works in IT, or I hate the coach on that particular staff, or I hate the tight ends quality control guy, or I hate the head coach Chip Kelly. I think that Chip Kelly came into the Philadelphia Eagles, and this man is a bold player. And not only is he a bold player with innovative offensive techniques, but I think we saw it right off the bat when he changed the, 
the schedule. He changed the diets. He changed the athletics, the, uh, the athletic program. We saw all that, which was clearly a big shakeup. Uh, but we didn't know how it was going to play out. I think everyone needed some time to see how this was going to sink in. And Chip Kelly kind of rolled forward like a snowball. The first season, his methods were, I think, shocking. But there was a lot of positivity to them. There was a lot of, well, you know, eating better is good. You know, Andy Reid letting his team eat whatever the hell they want the Monday after a win. You know, maybe that's not good for a player's health. You know, monitoring how they sleep and, and, and how they exercise and using certain techniques to follow up with them. You know, that can really keep a player fresh for the course of the whole season. And you can really mitigate inner injuries, things like that. You know, there's, there's science. This is science. It's it's thought out and there's been things that look into this and you know let's test it let's try it so kudos to Jeffrey Lurie he admitted his bold move he went and made a gutsy call it was especially after an Andy Reid era Andy Reid's era in Philadelphia was you know certainly brilliant and and has to be looked on with a lot of admiration there's a lot of black eyes that are with it but I think that with the exception of certain epic coaches like a Bill Belichick you know, you can't really have a coaching career without some black eyes. And even Bill Belichick has his black eyes. Bill Parcells has the black eyes. Tom Landry, you know, these guys had rough, abominable seasons. That's the game of football for you. And Andy Reid had that. And at the end of the Andy Reid era, it felt tired. It really felt used up. It felt in that 2012 season when they were 4-12 and 12 that everything he was saying and all of his techniques were kind of falling on deaf ears. And it was kind of a lame duck season for him. Uh, and you, you had to usher him out the door. And I think with Chip Kelly, it was a big change. You, you, you switched the sails. You started sailing this way. And you said, I'm going to go make a big splash with this guy. And when we saw that first Monday night football game against the Washington Redskins where Michael Vick's throwing touchdowns everywhere and Deshaun Jackson's running down the field with McCoy. Everybody got really, really excited couple of things I think we forget is that at the end of that season, um, Foles had the rock at that point. Vic was done. But they really stumbled into the playoffs. They did finish 10-6, and six, win the division, go to the playoffs. I think that's a little bit more of a testament to how bad that division is. Um, they got into that playoff scenario, and they had had a couple of bad losses uh, towards the end of the season. After having this seven-game win streak where – um, I don't know exactly what the win streak was. I'm thinking seven because that was the game when Nick Foles threw seven touchdowns against the Oakland Raiders. They had that Oakland Raiders win. They beat the Green Bay Packers without Aaron Rodgers. They kind of had these emotional wins, and there was a real sense of uh, like like turning point for the team. Nick Foles was playing at an epic uh, pace with so few interceptions. They had that snow game against the Detroit Lions when they weren't kicking extra points. Everybody was going for two because the snow was so bad. It was all very exciting, and there was a real energized feeling. But they stumbled into the playoffs, and they pretty much laid an egg against the Saints. I don't think it was totally awful, but it was a, it, the Saints came in and, and beat them. And I think it was a fairly convincing one. I'll go look at the stats of that playoff game. But I remember the Eagles losing and, and, and not feeling like they really were on the same tier as the Saints at that point. Saints have dipped since then, but I don't know. So last year, you started to see more of the Chip Kelly shakeup. You started to see him dismantle the team with letting Deshaun Jackson go. LaShawn McCoy didn't perform as well. Nick Foles didn't perform as well. He got hurt. The Sanchez came in. It, it was There was some... There was some 
I think some things you, you couldn't feel good about. And then the pristine and the, and the excitement of that first season really started to wear off. You came into the second season. They did finish 10-6, and six, but we have to remember that they lost that Week 16 game on Saturday night to the Redskins, which was what caused them to get bumped from the playoffs. You know, that big clutch divisional win that they needed, they couldn't get. Uh, they had a, a, a couple of games last year, just like this year, where they got blown out horribly. They played the Packers last year with Mark Sanchez. I remember this because I was driving down to Texas at the time, and I stopped in Shreveport, Louisiana, at a place called Fumble, Fumble Rooskies to watch the game. And we ended up leaving at the end of the third quarter because at that point, I think the Packers had put 50 points on the Eagles. Uh, and they had the same thing the following week. The Eagles played uh, the Seahawks. So these are the cream of the NFC, the Packers and the Seahawks uh, from last season. And the Eagles were, were beaten pretty badly, pretty convincingly. And, and you got into that moment where is this Chip Kelly scheme perfect? Or is it effective and innovative in a way that it's going to continue to churn out wins? It's almost like a hot new uh, show where everybody watches the pilot and that first season, but then you kind of get bored of it. And you go, ah, actually, it's just getting tired now. And I think that's what we saw a little bit with Chip Kelly. From Jeffrey Lawrence, Jeffrey Lurie's press conference this year when he was fired, that sort of exposed to me that there was more going on behind the scenes. So let's talk a little bit about the big coup that happened this offseason, the big I took over as GM, but I didn't take over as GM. So there was a power struggle with he and Howie Roseman, allegedly. There was uh, what's proven is that we know Howie Roseman was technically, quote, unquote, promoted to a new position where he's not being GM anymore. And, and, and Chip was given the keys to the car, and he did what he did. We all saw he, we, he let the whole team walk. You can't, you can't change over a whole offense like that. And to come into an Eagles organization, which Andy Reid aside, Jeffrey Lurie, Howie Roseman, these are guys who have been with the team for over a decade, if not two decades. These are people, the Eagles cultivate a certain culture of building from within. When you look at teams in the NFL, some of them choose to go out and make big splashes in free agency and bring in new people. And now there, there can be some credit given to that. However, in the game of football, with the amount of nuance that's required, with the amount of study and play calling that needs to go in to making a plan for a game, that needs to go into the preparation for being able to call an audible at the line of scrimmage like a Peyton Manning can do, this isn't basketball where you can just trade a great player to another team, insert him into the lineup, and he can figure out a way to produce for the team. That works in basketball. The game moves so quickly and is so freelance and freestyle in its nature. I'm not saying that the basketball does not have a lot of theory and planning to it. Absolutely not. But the nature of the game allows for improvisation to a degree and, and a little bit more than football. Football requires a lot of homework. You can't trade for a wide receiver, insert him into the lineup, and think he's going to be able to understand what, you know, vanilla wide squits, seven, eight, two, two, uh, on hut, on hut three. He's not just going to be, be able to intuitively get that. It takes study. It takes, you know, you've got to take all this in. So certain teams, and I'll give you an example like the Green Bay Packers. I think at this time, the Green Bay Packers, I think they are at 
they're the team that has the fewest number of players on their roster that have played for another team, meaning the majority of the players on their team have only played for the Green Bay Packers. They've only practiced for the Green Bay Packers. They've only worked for the Green Bay Packers. They know what management's like. They know what to expect. They know who the trainers are. They know where to go to the bathroom. They know where to find, you know, extra hats and bottles. If they need to get tickets for their friends, they know who the ticket person at the ticket booth is to call. There's a familiarity. There's a culture. There's a farm system. There's a pride in bringing someone into your family and keeping them there. The Eagles had been doing that themselves for a while. Think about the stars that we're talking about who walked out the door. LaShawn McCoy had only played for the Eagles. He was the, the franchise leader in rushing yards. He only played for the Eagles. Chip Kelly pretty much lets him walk and lets him leave. And it wouldn't have been as bad if he let him leave because you can understand the cap implications. You can understand it's a business. You can understand it's money. But then he goes out and gets to Marco Murray. You're spending that money somewhere else on a guy who may fit or may not fit, but now you've got a new guy to the organization. He's a new guy. He's got to learn the team. He's got to learn the plays. He's got to learn everything. You can't do that in a single offseason. It's not an accident that the Packers are good at what they do. It's not an accident that the Patriots are good at what these do. These teams know how to keep people and cultivate them. So when you let LaShawn McCoy walk out the door, when you let Deshaun Jackson, who'd never played for another team, they didn't even get anything for him. They didn't get anything for him. They let him walk. He is still one of the most dangerous wide receivers in the game, and they fucking let him walk. Jeremy Macklin, he'd never played for another football team. Even Nick Foles had never played for another football team. So you then have to take in who are the guys who Kelly has brought in to kind of be your offense this year. Nick Foles. Uh, excuse me, not, I'm sorry. Sam Bradford. DeMarco Murray. Uh, Miles Austin came in. Miles Austin was in getting snaps, goddammit. Miles Austin, I mean, I, I, I have a lot of respect for Miles Austin, but another guy who was a little over the hill who came in from another team who you're trying to fit into this thing, Ryan Matthews. Like, he went and made splashes. He brought in these other people, and some of them worked and some of them didn't. DeMarco Murray is a pretty big embarrassment. So coming back to the culture element, the idea of cultivating and keeping people there, the Eagles are somebody who've done this. The Eagles are somebody who've kept people for a very long time, like Andy Reid. They've shown faith. They've been able to understand an 8-8 eight and eight season, and they say, you know what? We know that you're better than that. We're going to give you another shot. We're going to give you another season to maybe be 11-5 and five after going 8-8 eight and eight or 6-10. and 10. After that Super Bowl year when Andy Reid went, you know, they went 6-10, and 10, and they, they didn't fire him. They didn't panic. They kept him there. They give him the chance to sort of work into it. They give these teams the chance and the players to, you know, they want to build up from the farm system. It was a good thing to have a Jeremy Macklin. It was a good thing to Deshaun Jackson. And typically in, in Eagles history, what you've seen is they will reward those players with contracts. They, and if they're not working, they'll let them walk. It happens. It's still football. But they would reward these guys and keep them there and breathe that culture and cultivate that, that sense of team and then those guys know each other better. They go golf during the summer. They train. They talk about the plays more. And when they come out in week one, not just getting reps for the game is what makes them prepared. Knowing each other. Being there as long as they had been. 
So when we saw Chip really shake up the whole thing, culminating in the coup where he stole personnel problems, uh, personnel decisions from Howie Roseman this summer from Jeffrey Lurie, I think he pretty much went to Jeffrey Lurie and said, this is how I want to do it. And I think Chip Kelly is a pretty powerful presence. Uh, from what I've heard, I think he's a very intense guy who might not be the easiest to get, a run, uh, get along with. I think there's a little bit of a my way or the highway, and I think there's a little bit of a, you know what? You're not fitting. Get the fuck out of here. And I don't think he had uh, established enough street cred with the Eagles to get away with that shit. And I think Jeffrey, and I think he went to Jeffrey Laurie and said, I'm going to make a big gamble. I want this shit because I'm fucking, I'm motherfucking Chip Kelly. And I think Jeffrey Laurie looked at him and said, all right, all right, Chip. All right, all right, all right, Chip. Listen, I'll give it to you. This year, you're the man. You're the, not even this year, you're the man. You know what? You want power. You want control over the team. You want to get sign these fucking contracts. Here you go, man. But hey, hey, hey. He's, and he's, you've got to imagine the two of them shaking hands and holding hands. And at that moment, they're shaking hands. And Chip Kelly's about to pull away. And Jeffrey Lurie just holds on to him. Holds on to him. And Chip Kelly kind of stops. And he looks back. And they look in each other's eyes. Jeffrey Lurie looks him right in the eyes. He says, but if you fuck this up, it's on you. And I think that, and then he lets go of his hand. I think that's kind of what happened. And I think after this season, it, in Jeffrey Lurie's eyes, Chip Kelly fucked up. The team was gone. You, the fans were upset in a way that they hadn't been upset. I don't know if anyone, for those of you who aren't Philadelphia Eagles fans, you might have your opinions of these fans. You might hate these fans. I know. Listen, I'm a Philadelphia Eagle fan. I wasn't there when we threw snowballs at Santa. I wasn't there when we threw batteries. Okay, but I know. the. I know. Okay, I know. I get it. I understand. But these fans are still passionate. When, they, when their team is losing and it's a rough loss, they'll, steal, they'll still stick in and be supportive. That's part of what makes them a good fan base and a passionate fan base. Part of that beauty of making them a great fan base is the same thing that makes them evil and awful at times. But I say that because when the Eagles lost that game against the Miami Dolphins at home, it was a heartbreaker. The Dolphins were bad. The Eagles had the game in hand, and they let it go. And they made some pretty bonehead plays to lose that game against the Dolphins. Then that started, I think, a bit of a heartbreak. The next two weeks, they gave up five touchdowns in both weeks, one to Jameis Winston and the Buccaneers, and then to Matthew Stafford and the Detroit Lions on national TV on Thanksgiving Day. Fans get really, really hurt when they see that. That Buccaneers game was at home in Philly. And Jeffrey Lurie saw those fans filing out after the blowout happened. He saw them disgusted. He saw them upset, and they were embarrassed by their Eagles team. Like, that's, that's different than just losing a two-point game. That's different. It's, it's a different loss. And, you know, you could see the fan base revolting on Chip. You could see, and I think what we didn't see, what Jeffrey Lurie was seeing, is that Chip was losing the organization. The trainers. Well, I, I don't want to. The, I'm just saying the people in the office that you work with every day were starting to be like, you know what? Let's cut our fucking losses. This is not working out. Or they're saying, you know what? I don't like that guy. They're like, I don't like that guy. He's doing things. I read an article recently that said Chip Kelly sent urine tests to all of his players at the beginning of every single practice. I don't know if that's true. I, I don't know if it's not. That sounds a little nutty, though. But, so, God, I think he was a powerful presence. I think the Eagles made a, a bold choice in bringing him in. And let's move to the, the second part of our topic, which is that Chip Kelly 
just got hired by the San Francisco 49ers to be their head coach. He signed a four-year deal for $24 million. The innovative, exciting, and bold Chip Kelly was not out of a job for very long. Uh, I've been speaking with some people who feel very much that it, a beautiful thing that Chip Kelly's gone. Um, you know, they're happy that he was, was fired. I've spoken to some people who are feeling the Eagles have made a terrible mistake. This is a very innovative coach. Uh, they, they hit abort on this project too early, that there was a future to come to him, and, and they didn't give him enough time. And uh, I think that there's a little – there's legitimacy in, of the argument to both, and I have thought a lot about this as well. This is, this is, I think, my opinion now that I see Chip Kelly going to the Niners. I think the Eagles firing Chip Kelly was the right decision. I think that Chip Kelly showed a lot of what he's got as a coach – and I think as much as there is excitement about him, he's still a young coach that needs to learn a thing or two about coaching a team. Uh, give him some credit as whenever you get a new job, there's some growing pains. And I think this is truly growing pains for him. And I feel that Philadelphia was not a good fit for Chip Kelly. I think that the culture, I think that the fan base, I think the players, I think the way, the way they do business the way Jeffrey Lurie does business, the way Howie Roseman does business, the way they run their team, which it has not provided a Super Bowl, but it has provided Super Bowl birth. It has provided division championships. I'm someone who can say that the Eagles have not been, you know, quagmired in losing seasons for years. We don't have many losing seasons in the last 15, 20 years. And, you know... We don't have a Super Bowl either, but I feel good about coming. I feel good about my Eagles team every year. I, I'd be pretty upset if I was a Lions fan or something to that extent. No offense to the Lions fans. It's just, you know, Detroit Lions have been a disappointing team year in and year out, and it's, it's rough sometimes to see. It's exciting when you, have, when you see them have a good season. Um, but the Eagles, even when they're losing, you can still kind of get behind them, and I think that Chip was bringing a look and a face to this team that was not fitting. And, and I think Jeffrey Lurie pretty much was like, you know what? We're, we're, he was like, hey, 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 stop. We're done. This is over. We're moving on. And they moved on. And the Niners, God bless them. Niners, it's going to be, in, they've got their own drama right now. The Niners are a complete mess. After years and years of really being terrible with Alex Smith, uh, that good decade where they disappeared after the, um, you know, the brilliance of their Joe Montana, Steve Young eras, they came back with Jim Harbaugh. He was almost a Chip Kelly in his own way, this sort of college coach, innovative, you know, bringing these new things to the NFL and producing wins very quickly and producing excitement fast. And, but there was some discussion about how Trent Bulky, the GM of the team, he and Jim Harbaugh, their relationship deteriorated. They broke apart. Um, Bulky, uh, they say uh, Bulky is the reason that Harbaugh left. Uh, then they ended up hiring Jim Tom Sula, who was a, a guy who'd been with the organization for some time, you know, and in, you know, they, they were promoting from inside. Uh, they fired him promptly at the end of the season. After one year, the team went five and 11. They were terrible. They made some questionable decisions. Colin Kaepernick, the starting quarterback of the Niners, um, ended up going on injured reserve, but truly he went on injured reserve after he was benched. So Jim Tom Sula made the decision to bench Colin Kaepernick for Blaine Gabbert. So, and multiple, 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 multiple uh, um, losses uh, to, the, uh, to the team through retirement. Many unexpected retirements for the San Francisco 49ers. And this team changed very quickly, very fast. And 
I think Jim Tomsula was not the right decision as coach. Uh, it was probably good to have a familiar face, but, um, you know, you feel bad. I think he was in a little bit over his head. And there is some optimism here for Chip Kelly. Um, I think he's, to a degree, he's learned his lesson a little bit. I don't think he's going to have player personnel power in um, uh, with the 49ers. Trent Baalke will still be in uh, that position. He's got Colin Kaepernick, who just a couple of years ago was a pretty exciting quarterback. And, you know, earlier this season, I think it was looking like uh, the, the Niners were talking about cutting Kaepernick after the season and shedding that massive salary that he has. Uh, however, this, the hiring of Chip Kelly, he's going to sit back and he's going to look at what he's got. And I think Chip Kelly... This is really the first quarterback he's had that runs. So there's a real opportunity here for both of them to, you know, improve upon their poor seasons from this past year. Uh, this is probably the best thing that could have happened for Kaepernick because I think if Tom Sula stayed where he was, Kaepernick would be off the, the books and he'd be gone and probably looking for a new employer. Um, also, there's a lot of cap room for the Niners coming up next year. After all these guys retired, you know, they had dead money this year, but next year, it's going to be fair game, and they'll have a lot of money to spend. So Kelly and Balky can probably bring in some players and, uh, uh, and still have um, you know, the core of who they have right now. And this Niners team could be right back in the thick of it very quickly. And Chip Kelly is certainly going to be tested by playing the Seahawks and the Cardinals and the Rams twice a year. Those teams are not to be fucked with. So I, um, I think that Kelly will be a good fit with the Niners. And I'm happy he's gone from the Eagles because with his innovation and with his excitement, uh, I think the Eagles will be ready to move back to what they were doing before, which can still produce wins. Which brings me to uh, what I know now of the Eagles head coaching job. So the Eagles fired Chip Kelly, and they are now saying they are going to hire Doug Peterson, the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, former quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles, if you remember, he was the quarterback the first year of Andy Reid's time, 1999 season of the Philadelphia Eagles. I believe he that was Donovan McNabb's rookie year. Peterson started the season, went 2-7 and seven before Donovan McNabb took over and took the job, and that was all. I think Peterson was cut after the year. Peterson's a career backup. He backed up Brett Favre. Uh, so he's a quarterback. He's an offensive guy. He knows a thing or two about sitting in the pocket. Uh, he's been steering this uh, Kansas City Chiefs offense. He pretty much went with Andy Reid to Kansas City. When, Kansas, when he went to Kansas City a couple of years ago, Doug Peterson went with him. That's what's a little making me skeptical. I haven't really heard much about Doug Peterson. I haven't really heard any sort of excitement or noise about his coaching abilities. If anything, I'm seeing now, Laurie is going back to the Andy Reid coaching tree. He's going back to that traditionalism. I think he's bringing in someone who he knows. Um, what I think is I'm a little dicey about it because I think that there's a lot of good coaches out there who are good, and then I think there's greats. And I think the Andy Reeds, the Bill Belichicks, the Tom Coughlins, these guys are greats. And Doug Peterson's, Pat Shermer's, you know, I, I'm a little – I'm on the fence with some of these coaches. So I don't know how excited I am about the Doug Peterson hiring, which is not official yet because the Kansas City Chiefs are still in the playoffs. So until Kansas City finishes their playoff run, the Eagles will announce Doug Peterson as their new head coach. But it's pretty much a shoo-in. Um, okay, I talked a lot about Chip Kelly there. Let me, let me get back on track here. Let me get back to what I was – let me just announce all the coaching firings before I – I clearly have a passionate feeling about Mr. Kelly because I went on for 20, 30 minutes talking about him. Okay, so – 
Dolphins fire their coach midseason. Titans fire their coach. Eagles fire Chip Kelly. Tom Coughlin and the New York Giants agree to part ways after 12 seasons and two Super Bowls. I think he's old, and I think two losing seasons, the last two seasons, the Giants have been pretty forgettable. Um, it was clear they were ready to be done with that. Coughlin interviewed for the Eagles. Pretty much a lot of people interviewed for the Eagles job, Coughlin being one of them. He withdrew his name from consideration. I think at this point Coughlin is he's just he's an old man. He's an old man, and I think he's ready to kind of sooner or later you gotta be like, I'm I'm get I'm getting too old for this shit. I think there's a little bit of a, I'm getting too old for this shit. And uh all of them sooner or later say it. And uh Coughlin I think he's probably there. So Giants uh, lose Tom Coughlin. Um, the other firings that happened, uh, Jim Tom Sula, of course, was fired after one season coaching the Niners. He finishes 5-11. and 11. Uh, Lovey Smith fired as the coach of the Buccaneers after two seasons. They went 6-10. and 10. Uh, I think being at 6-6 six and six this season and then finishing the season on a four-game losing streak kind of hurt. Um, so the Buccaneers fired him. I also thought that was a little premature. Uh, I think it's tough for Lovey Smith's, you know, structure to build. That's a, that's a team that I think is based on defense. He'd had two, you know, he had Jameis Winston this year as a rookie. He had, I, I, I don't know. I, I, the Buccaneers have known, have been known for a little bit of questionable decisions from an executive management standpoint at times, firing coaches quickly. The Greg Schiano, um, you know, era of coaching was pretty ugly there. They've really, ever since John Gruden was, was fired, they've really had difficulty keeping a coach there for any prolonged period of time, and it has not been a good decision. And I'm a little skeptical of them firing Lovey Smith after two years. I think he's a pretty good coach still, and I think he had some good things to do there. But they, uh, they felt, they felt uh, otherwise. Um, okay, the other coaching changes. Let me just go through all the teams here. The Cleveland Browns. Cleveland Browns. Firing another head coach, Mike Pettin, after two years. Um, I feel bad for anyone who tries to get involved with the Cleveland Browns organization. It's it's just a wasteland to die. It's like they take professional athletes in the NFL and they just, you know, professionally. Anybody who's trying to think of themselves as professional and how to do business, they go to Cleveland and it's like Cleveland just spits on it and shits on it and says, ah, that's bullshit. I would give them more respect. I would give them more credibility if anything that they did provided showed any type of thought and I think some of the people that they've they've run out of town are good I think some of the people they've run out of town should be run out of town uh but I'm still just so ugh, Cleveland I, I don't want to touch them with a 10-foot pole um let's come back to so now these are the places that have been fired um I don't know if Mike Pettin was doing a bad job, but there's so much dysfunction in Cleveland. It was anybody who's there for two years. It's like if they don't fire a coach every two or three years, it's like they need to kind of go out. They're doing something wrong. It's like they almost they're like they're like, damn man, I I haven't fired somebody in a while. Let me go. Fi-. Oh, and they fired the GM too. They got they got rid of him. You know, they gave him I think two years or three years. That was plenty of time. Okay, new coaching hires. So Adam Gase the offensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears and formerly of the Denver Broncos with Peyton Manning. He was hired as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Um, So you're putting an offensive coordinator coach who worked with Peyton Manning and Jay Cutler. He was a head coaching candidate even last year, I think, when he went to Chicago with John Fox. 
but he's, he's probably one of your tastier head coaching candidates this year. Eagles interviewed him as well. Offensive-minded, coming to the Dolphins. Dolphins had some real dysfunction this year, um, spending so much money on Indomitian Sue, but it's not really being reflected that much on the defensive end. They had a lot of defensive pro- They had a lot of coaching problems. They had, a, they had a lot of everything problems. They fired so many coaches this year. They're another team that kind of can't figure out what the hell they want to do. They've got Ryan Tannehill. They gave him a lot of money. But I, I think he, he regressed this season, and not his fault. I think the coaching staff's fault. I think there's a lot to be looked at with that coaching staff. And I think it's a pretty – I think considering the coaches out there, the Dolphins pr- did get the tastier option. I think Adam Gase is going to bring something to that offense, and I think they have a lot of – Great defensive players who are already kind of there with Sue and Cameron. Hopefully Cameron Wake can come back from this injury. I think he, I think he ruptured his Achilles this season, which is pretty rough. Cameron Wake has been so darn good. Um, Cleveland Browns uh, hired Hugh Jackson, the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals and former head coach of the Oakland Raiders. I think Hugh Jackson is a pretty damn good coach. He's an energetic coach. I'm glad he's getting another cha- chance to head coach. I thought he did a decent job with Oakland the year he coached them. I think he went 8-8. Eight and eight. Uh, However, they fired him after one season, not, not really because of his work, but I think more so because of the performance of uh, uh, the, the front office. I think that was, that was relatively around when Al Davis passed away and Mark Davis started running the team. And that team is just now kind of getting, its, getting out of the realm of dysfunction. Uh, and I think that Hugh Jackson was just a... Um, a, a casualty of that. So, and I think Hugh Jackson did uh, some good work with Andy Dalton this year. And uh, I th- listen, I think he's a good guy to bring in for the Cleveland Browns. He's kind of got that hard nosed attitude to him. Someone who's going to kick him in the ass. I just hope Cleveland gives Hugh Jackson enough of a chance to produce some wins. Cause I, I think it might be tough. Um, I don't know if he's the most exciting candidate. I don't know if he's the guy to turn the team around, but I, I don't know if I feel bad about the decision. Tennessee Titans still have not hired a coach. They might be on the losing end of this coaching hunt if they still have a vacancy at this point. It's not looking good for them. Um, San Diego Chargers had a very terrible year this year, but they said that they will extend Coach Mike McCoy's contract for one additional year. Uh, the New York Giants have announced that they have promoted offensive coordinator Ben McAdoo to head coach. Uh, in some ways, and I've read some good articles about this as well, Sort of admitting that, kind of admitting that Tom Coughlin was the problem. Kind of saying, you know what, we needed to change of leadership and this is what it was. Because I don't know how good the offense has been with Ben McAdoo. Uh, if I'm correct, I believe Kevin, Kevin Gilbride was the offense coordinator through their Super Bowl years and most of their winning years. And Ben McAdoo has been running the team, the offense, for the last two years. So I guess even though they've had problems with their offense, they still felt good enough that he would be a good offensive, a good head coach for the team or the right selection at this point. Uh, I guess it's you can feel good because you, you know you're staying within the organization, you're keeping familiarity. The Giants are another team that really tries to you know cultivate a culture from within and, and keep that the, the the same sort of people involved. Um, but they kept, you know, Steve Spagnolo is back as the defensive coordinator. He's been there the last couple of years. All, this Giants team has been bad, and they, they kind of kept a lot of the same people intact. If anything, the only person who really is gone now is Coughlin. Um, so I don't know how good I feel about that decision for the Giants. My first gut reaction is I, 
I, I, I don't know if it's going to equate to wins. So I, I don't, I would give them, I would give them a C plus or a B minus on the head coaching grade. Um, other teams with a new head coach. Ah, yes, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, have opted to promote their offensive coordinator, Dirk Cutter, to be the new head coach of the Buccaneers. Uh, so another situation where you are really saying the one person we're going to remove from this puzzle is the head coach. You're taking Lovey Smith and his defensive-mindedness out, and you're putting Dirk Cutter in. You're giving him his first job. You're promoting him from with it. I think this was only first Dirk Cutter's first job with uh, the Buccaneers. I think this is now going to be his second year with the team. However, there's always been a lot of respect given to Dirk. He's he's worked with, I think, the Falcons and the Jaguars. He's been able to produce good offenses. He's, he's kind of like an Adam Gase. He's been successful at that level and in that position, and now he's getting a crack at the head coaching job. And uh, And I think they also hope that he will allow Jameis Winston to continue to grow and blossom. Uh, so the Buccaneers are giving Dirk the job. Let's see how long he has it. Might, might be two years. Might not. It might be five years. Might, who knows with Tampa Bay? You don't really know what to think of with them. Uh, and then, of course, Jim Tom Sula was fired. Uh, I think I covered all the teams. Jason Garrett is being retained by the Cowboys. John Fa- Oh, uh. Jim Caldwell, the coach of the Lions, is being retained by the Lions after a one and seven start and a six and two finish. Um, they're going to keep Jim Caldwell around just for another year. They killed everybody else in the front office, Martin Mayhew, and uh, all those guys are gone now. Um, they brought in some. I think they're hiring new people now. Sean Payton is going to stay with the Saints. Uh, they thought he was going to get fired. Same thing with the Rams. Now the Rams are going to move to Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. Did you guys hear about that? The Rams are moving to Los Angeles. <laughs> 20 years later. Now it's like, oh, we moved. Now we're coming back. Oh, I quit. Now I'm back. I'm quitting. I'm back. No. So they're going back to Los Angeles. I, let's, that, that should be exciting. It should be exciting. I, I feel bad for St. Louis fans. Uh, I, I'm sure you guys are going to miss them. But you still got your Cardinals. I know you guys are big Cardinals fans out there. But that's all we got for this week. Um, oh, what am I talking about? I'm probably going to drop another podcast tomorrow. I love talking sports. Don't you love talking sports? All right, that's all I got today. We will talk soon. Take it easy. Bye-bye.